um, from wait, the beer cans from yeah from the from the dump side of her body. It's David Lawhon's DNA on the beer cans. What? Yep. Are you kidding? I'm dead serious. Well, oh my God. Is that confirmed? And I'm going to tell you this. This is the ugliest of the uglies. Is that verified? Do you though? have the? Do you have a copy of the of the lab report on those beer cans? No. Do I? No, I was. Uh, I uh, don't. I don't think you. Okay. Here's the deal. Um, when I when I went after Carol Seitz's statement in 2000 in October 2001 not the only thing I went after. You see, I came in the day after the evidentiary hearing on March 15th. Now, as you are aware, you know, the, you know, I've made it clear that the Texas Ranger Wardlow put my driver's license picture on a wanted poster and started showing it around the county. Right. In early March. Well, I, I, you know, I talked to the, to the county official who told the newspaper reporter who told me you know, I did the research on it, and I and I caught the DPS. Uh, a, a high official in the DPS lost his job over it. And uh, what what Wardlow was doing was trying to keep me out of the evidentiary hearing. You see, this is this is such a comedy of circumstances. I have to back up a little bit. In in two in late two thousand, you know, I had some dumping on my property of banned DDT derivative chemicals. I went to the Rangers to start an investigation. That's how I met Rocky Wardlow. So he took on the investigation. Well, I wasn't really, con you know, overwhelmed with him. And so I talked to our governor's uh, environmental officer. The governor's office was Bush at the time. And with the, with the state's environmental officer and the Texas National Resource Commission, we caught the perpetrator confiscated the chemicals and had them destroyed. <clears throat> all the while, you know, I just forgot about Rocky Wardlow. And then after this is all done, in early 2001, Rocky called me and says, well, Dave, I've, I've completed all my investigation. I can't find anything. <laughs> I had to laugh. I said, well, Rocky, you don't have to worry about it. It's all taken care of. We already caught the people and confiscated the chemicals, and they've been destroyed. What? 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 So I explained it to him. And I told him, I said, look, you know, I'm not impressed. And I sure hope to God that nobody else in Bastrop County ever needs, you know, an investigation by you, because I don't think you're competent. He said, I've done criminal investigations before. I said, yeah, when? He said, remember that six-month-old baby that was kidnapped here in Bastrop? You know, and I said, you talking about the one this last year where the baby, the 18-year-old babysitter kidnapped the baby? Yeah, I handled that investigation. I said, that's exactly what I'm talking about, Wardlow. It took you two weeks to pick up the phone and call the mother, the girl's mother, in Austin, where she where she had been with that baby the whole time. Any uh, anybody else that was even mildly competent, the first thing they would do with an 18 year old kidnap a baby is call the girl's mother. Mm. And yet, it took you two weeks to do it. And I said, quite frankly, Wardlow, I, I, I doubt that you could you could investigate your way out of a wet paper bag with a hole in it. And you know what? One of these days, I'm going to show you how to do an investigation. So you have a nice, nice day, and I ended the conversation. So you guys had history. 
Yes. And then a month later, the reporter with the Smithville Times, uh, ran. we ran into each other on another matter, and she found out that I used to do consulting for the Postal Police and did some stuff for the DA's office in Houston and asked me if I'd look at the Reed case. It never occurred to me that Rocky Wardlow was the investigator in this case. So when Wardlow heard that I was looking into it, he freaked. He's thinking, oh, my God, he told me he's going to show me how to do an investigation. He's going to start looking at this case. And Rocky Wardlow was set to be on the stand at the, at the March 15th evidentiary hearing. Well, when the reporter gave me the file, she never told me there was a hearing in March, so I didn't even know about it. <clears throat> the reason I hadn't started investigating was I, I told the reporter, based on a nickname I have that we've Mr. To Botinsky. have mentioned once or twice tonight that I would not stick my nose into this case unless I was asked in by the family. So she gave me Sandra Reed's phone number. When I got back to the office, I called Sandra Reed. She was out playing bingo. I talked to Richard or Roderick, told him who I was, told him that the Smithfield Times has requested that I look at this case, but I told them that I would need y'all's permission to do so first. And so when their mother got home from bingo, have her give me a call and tell me yay or nay. I never heard from her. It was over. I wasn't going to look at the case. And then the wanted poster showed up. And then the hearing, after the day, after the hearing, the reporter calls me at the office and says, where were you? And I go, where was I when? Today. I sit here at the office. Why were you at the hearing? What hearing? Oh, I didn't tell you about the hearing? Well, apparently not. Well, you should have been there. Rocky Wardlow was on the stand. And bam, I go, oh, son of a gun. Now I know what this was all about. He didn't want me in there to see him on the stand. Then I realized, crap, he's, he's thinking I'm looking at this case based on the last comment I made to him that I was going to show him how to do an investigation. When the tune... The two never met. Now, since he wants to go after me, I don't need the Reed's permission to do anything. This is now personal, and that's how I got into the case. Rocky Rocky Wardlow did it to himself. But no, you is still swirling about David Lahan's DNA and the beer cans. Well, <laughs> I'm, can I'm we really go back haven't gone past that, David? Yeah. Well, let me explain as as much as I can on this. Mm-hmm. When I came in, they introduced, the, at that hearing, they introduced the lab reports on the beer cans. Both the defense and the state introduced their copies. When I got to see the file, I noticed that both the state and the defense copies were both fax copies of the lab report. And I thought, wait a minute. If both sides are using fax copies of a lab report, and the first page of the lab report is the second page of the facts, and the facts cover sheet is part of the official record. So where the hell is it? So in October 2001, I filed public records requests for the, you know, with the DPS for the facts cover sheet. And boy, so, and that started off a fight. It went from October to December. They would, they would tell me they sent it to me. I said, no, you didn't. Don't pull that crap on me and I request it again. 
and they would tell me on the phone, oh, it's been destroyed as part of the of the normal records retention program. I said, yeah, put that in writing and see what happens. And they wouldn't do it because that's destruction of evidence. Back and forth until I finally got it in December 2001. The fax cover sheet is from Will Young's boss. It's faxed from the DPS office in Austin to the Penix, the district attorney, Charles Penix fax number in his office, which is directly across the hall from the courtroom where Reed's trial is taking place. Excuse me. <clears throat> anyway, in the memo box, in handwriting of Armarios, the head of the lab, it's, she addresses to Missy, Will Young isn't in, so I signed his report, Irma. That makes the lab report hearsay. The state could have never given it to the defense. It's not signed by the serologist who did the test. Mm. Yeah, how about that for a little bomb? Well, let's see. How does a jury not sit there and just be dumbfounded? Like, I know. The jury never got to see or hear any of this. True, true. So if they don't know. Rodney found this lab report attached as an unmentioned exhibit on the state's answer to his habeas. Rodney's the one that found this and raised Uh this issue, not his attorney. Now, it gets worse. I have now handwritten documents showing that it was not the Ed Samala, David Law, uh, or, or David Hall DNA on the beer cans. It was worse. And the person who changed the lab report before it was printed out was Armarios. She was alerted that you need to look at these findings and make whatever changes you need to make and then fax it to Mitzi, you know, to, to, you know, Mitzi Wolf and Lisa Tanner before 9 a.m. on May 14th, which is the last day of trial. That's when Elizabeth Johnson came to testify. And see, having the facts cover sheet when I received this new report, it puts them all together. Mm. And then it tells her how to find this record that hasn't, and on what computer it is to make her change, which she acknowledges she you know, signed his report, which means she changed it and he can no longer sign it, which is why Will Young has never signed this report. It's not his work anymore. So I have to think, who who the hell's DNA is on these beer cans? Right. Who's who is bad enough that would be worse than than Ed Samala and David Hall? I think, okay, it could be Wardlow, maybe Sheriff Hernandez. David Boards and I go no can't be because whosoever DNA is on the beer can that DNA is already in the system and it's likely in this case so you don't have Rocky Wardlow's DNA you don't have Richard Hernandez the sheriff's DNA you don't have David Boards DNA so whose DNA do you have bam David Lawhans now but there's another piece of evidence that tells you absolutely it's David Lawhans. What's that? It's the bait stamp number on that 
lab report that Lisa Tanner and Mitzi Wolf in that evidentiary hearing testified, Your Honor, we can prove we gave this to defense. See, it's got bait stamp numbers on it. And we and and that's for how we prove that we give documents to the to the defense is we bait stamp them. And this has bait stamp numbers which proves we gave them to them. Yeah no. You see, all the bait stamp numbers in Rodney Reed's case are ink stamps. It's on that rolling wheel that has six numbers. <clears throat> so all bait stamps in Rodney's case start with zero, 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 and then three numbers until you get over until you get to a thousand. And it's two zeros and four numbers. Mm-hmm. But these are big ink stamps. Stamp the ink blotter, stamp the page. Stamp the ink blotter, stamp the page. On this particular law, on this particular lab report, the bait stamp numbers are typed. They're type numbers. There are four numbers. They're in the same font as the document. So I go and pull records from the from uh, David Lawhon's file. They're the same. They're same digits. sequence. They're in the same the same four numbers, same type four numbers, same thousand range. This they they put this lab report not in Rodney's file, but in David Lawhon's file because it's David Lawhon's DNA on the beer cans, and that's where they had been hiding it until Lisa Tanner got her clever little self and said, "Oh, I'll just go ahead and attach this to the state's habeas and put this in the record." Since the defense wanted the DNA on the of the four suspects to check against these beer cans, we've got to we've got to close any doors of the of the federal habeas attorneys going. Whatever happened to the defense test on the beer cans? Well, we use this to show that it you know it doesn't match. Right. So it's not Only, that they identified whose DNA was on it. They identified no, they who's dead. Who whose file whose, they put it, it wasn't in. on. Whose wasn't on it. And then all and then all of the other evidence, the panties and other stuff, all directly tra- trace back to David Lawhon's case with Marianne Alt. So the fact that they're using Marianne Alt's panties on on Stacy to cross contaminate would only fit that they would have the beer cans would have David Lawhon's DNA on it as would the missing piece of the belt, which is why the state doesn't want the defense to test that belt, because it could accidentally come back with David Lawhon's DNA on the other part of the belt. You see all the pieces start coming together? Let's, let's real quickly address how Stacy died. Let's real quickly address that. Okay. Because the... the, the I'm going to tell you what my records show, how and when she died. When Jimmy Fennell was last seen stacing, chasing Stacy up the stairs, it was about 8.30. Okay. Just before, you know, right at sun, sundown, beginning of dusk. Carol says, oh, they were chasing all so happy. Stacy had pulled some little joke on Jimmy, and he's chasing her up the stairs. Mm-hmm. Well, it really started out with Stacy had been taking a nap, came downstairs, asked Carol, have you seen Jimmy? He says, oh, yeah, he just walked around, you know, the the building like he's going to the mailbox. Well, that's where Jimmy's truck's parked. So Stacy goes around to, you know, 
surprise him. Well, Jimmy's setting up the truck to kill her to transport her body. Yeah, she she surprised him all right. And so he's chasing her. Carol takes it all happy go lightly, but as soon as they hit that apartment, he jumped on her and he killed her the way most police officers kill people to get away with it. Just like George Floyd, Eric Gardner, uh, and the list goes on, Trayvon Martin, they die of compression suffocation. You get on their back, and if you can get their arms behind their back, it takes as little as five pounds of pressure in the center of the back that as soon as you exhale, you can't inhale. And that's how Stacy died. Now, what that does is, <clears throat> when the lungs lose the air, the weight now is compressing the lungs, which damages and bruises them. It also puts weight on the heart, and the heart can't beat right. It can pump blood above the shoulder into the brain and face, but it can't pull it back. And so with every heartbeat, the blood pressure above the shoulders increases exponentially. I know this because I almost died this way in uh, in a football game back when I was in junior high. Mm-hmm. I got on the bottom of the pile and had the wind knocked out of me with people on my back, and I went through this. I know what each heartbeat feels like, how the capillaries rupturing in your face and it feeling like you're being stabbed by 10,000 needles. Pins and needles, yeah. Every heartbeat feels like your head's going to explode off your shoulders. And so, but it leaves artifacts. One thing, once you get off the back and the person is brain dead because the uh, you um, what happens is the blood coming in the base of the spinal column in the in I mean in the base of the skull at the spinal column mm-hmm. the blood pressure increases at the base and it crushes the brain against the outer skull much like as if you had a, brain, a head injury and your brain swelled to the point that it killed itself only this doesn't take 20 seconds to kill you the blood pressure increases that fast mm. but as that blood pressure increases and the capillaries rupture, the blood goes into the skin and into the muscle tissue of the face. And so what an artifact you get is the face looks puffy. Stacy's face looks very puffy. It also, in some people, if you have large lips, it will turn them inside out as if you've been stung by a bee and had an allergic reaction because the lips are thin. As the blood pressure increases, the lips swell, and they will roll inside out at times. Mm. Another artifact is the lips become very blue because all the blood rupturing right underneath the capillaries, right underneath the skin, tattoos the skin blue. Stacy's lips are black because you have both the blue from the compression suffocation and the added blood from the lividity, which leaves the lips many shades darker than the rest of her face. And that is, again, an artifact of compression suffocation. Another artifact, and the most telling, is the weight of the lungs. Immediately, the bruised lungs being crushed together, immediately start fluid starts running. Now, Right after compression suffocation, when you see an autopsy report of somebody right after, you know, done immediately the next day and the body refrigerated, 
the lungs will be more than twice normal because of the excess fluids. So what Stacy's are. That, That's that what would resemble Floyd's droning, lungs are. Hmm? Which would resemble droning. Yes. Well, actually, they're lighter than drowning. Because you see, in drowning, if you aspirate the water, the surrounding water pressure will put more water into the lungs than is normal. When you pull the person out, those fluids are in the lungs, and the lungs are expanded and full of water. Mm -hmm. On compression suffocation, the lungs are flat, and they get tacky. The blood gets tacky immediately, so you can't blow them up again. So as the fluids run and more fluids try to go into the lungs after you're dead, the, you can't increase the pressure any more than there already is because the fluids will run up the bronchial tree into the esophagus and out the mouth the nose. So a compression suffocation of the lungs pretty much stays the same no matter how much more volume of fluids come in because you can't push the lungs apart and so since you can't expand the volume, you can't hold any more fluid than is already there. So it just links out. So Stacy's mm. lungs stay the same as when she died, about twice normal. George Floyd, I have George Floyd's autopsy. George Floyd did not die from the officer kneeling on the back of his neck. He died from the officer that, that you don't see with his knees in his back that completely collapsed his lungs. George Floyd's lungs are completely flat and no volume at all, and his lungs mimic Stacy's, and they weigh the same amount, even though he was, prom you know, he was promptly refrigerated. Mm -hmm. Because if he wasn't refrigerated and the bacteria started and more fluids linked in, they would run up his windpipe and out his mouth like Stacy. Mm. An artifact of compression suffocation are flat lungs that weigh twice normal. What was that, Colleen? They're not drowning. Um, I was going to say, since we're on this topic of how police subdue people, um, I, I was wondering if you know if um, the Bastrop police were using taser guns or stun guns back then, because <clears throat> I just noticed that some of the what they thought were cigarette burns resemble um, images of people who had been tased. Severe electric burns from tasers. Okay, no. Taser burns, I've seen taser burn marks in autopsy before. They're just little pinpoint red spots. You see, a taser may have 50,000 volts, but they have no watts. And you see, it's watts that account is what you, it determines the pressure of the electricity, the flow that causes the current. Voltage, you know, doesn't is not what kills you in electrocutions. It's watts. Well, there uh, taser burn. There's a lot of documentation, uh, autopsy documentation of severe taser burns. Um, some of them just look like cigarette burns. Some of them there are chunks of skin missing. Okay, um, that 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 I you know I've never seen a taser held to a body that long because again, it's it's like you know. When you're talking about a taser with 50,000 volts, mm. you know, since, you know, we've had livestock, I have electric fence, you know, generators. 
because of the cattle and the horses mm -hmm. that electrify the fence to 50,000 volts. And I'm telling you, it'll put you on the ground, but it won't burn you. Mm. Oh, I'll comment here in, in, the, in the stew pot. Uh, Joy says they they didn't have stun guns or tasers. They didn't get those until after two thousand in, right. in Bastra. Now, now what did what uh, Dwayne only the investigator for Rodney? He convinced Lydia Clay Jackson and Calvin Garvey that the burns on Stacy were caused by a, by you know a stun gun. And when I found when I heard that, I confronted Dwayne only. I, I looked him up. And looked at his background. He you know, got his start as a jailer. And so I called him. And I said, Dwayne, about these taser burns on Stacy's body, you know, accounting for these burns, uh, I, I said, you've used a stun gun before. And don't tell me you haven't, because I've looked up your record as a jailer, and I know you used them at that jail. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've used a stun gun a lot. And I said, then you know that they won't burn you like that. He said, well, they'll leave a mark. And I said, yes, they will, but not a burn. Well, oh, they well, do. You... They leave burns, David, I swear. Well, well, now, now, not, wait, 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 wait. Maybe those now do, but they didn't back then, and, and, and they didn't in before 2000 either when I came into this. I have a lot of bodies that have been tasered to death. And they leave the red marks, but they do not char the skin because it takes wattage to push the electric current hard enough to generate heat. Voltage by itself won't do it. You have if to have there a, was some type of electric current, you think like... No, 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 watts, watts give you, is, and it's hard to explain, um, to, in, unless you understand electric, you know, electricity, the watts act as the. It's like a water hose can have water in it, but no water is running out the end mm -hmm. until you open the valve. Well, what makes current, electric current really run is the wattage. The more watts, the faster the current runs, and and the more deadly it is. And so without, and, and stun guns are not supposed to have any wattage. You, what you're doing is you're grounding. And so the flow is from a high concentration of electricity to a low concentration, meaning the battery in the taser has, has compressed electrons. And they will run downhill, but they're not being shoved at high speeds, which causes friction, which causes heat, which causes the burn. And so up until in, in, in the last tasers I've ever seen, I've never seen a taser with any wattage that could shove the voltage to create the heat that would actually char skin. They will leave a red mark, but I've never seen one that chars skin. And, I, and it's just hard for me. Now, if you've got burns like that, I would suggest that you are tortured with, you know, with bare wire stuck into a, you know, into a, a one battery or something outlet. Okay. Yes, which is, you know, 
Some type of generator. Which is, yes, which would give you the current that would give you the burn. But again, that doesn't char. That burns you just like putting your hand on a hot stove. That'll give you a blister, skin blister. To get that to the point that it would char the skin, the contact point, depending on the wattage, the lower the wattage, the longer the contact. And see, that's just, you know, I, I can't believe any taser would have that kind of, of wattage because it would it's a, de- a guaranteed death sentence to use that. Mm. So I'd sure like to look at anybody that's saying that these are taser burns because I've got to tell you, that doesn't make any sense at all. I'll send you some pictures that I have that I found. Sure, yeah, I'd like, I'd definitely like to see them. And, and Kevin will give you my email address. Yeah. And I, and I looked, I mean, I said that tasers, they came out in the early 90s. So that doesn't mean all police were using them, but that doesn't mean you didn't have access to one or, or you know, some farm. Yeah, but again, but the taser would never have wattage because it could kill you. It would be it would be almost guaranteed that it would kill the majority of the people. So that makes no sense. So is that why it would affect people that had pacemakers differently? Well, pacemakers, yes. Pacemakers, it, it interferes with the pacemakers uh, when you get that kind of shock. Or if you're subject to cardiac arrhythmia, the longer you're tasered, the, the more likely that you, that you will cause the heart to go into arrhythmia and you would die after the taser. And people do that all the time. So, all right. There, several years ago, there was an incident at Bastrop High School where a police oh, officer yes. tased. And he and on a you know, on a hallway, and the kid fell straight down, hit his head on the on the hard concrete floor, and died. Had another one in Austin. They did that dumb shit, you know, police officers. And you can tell when you see the video; these are numb nuts that shouldn't ever be in law enforcement and never given a taser or a gun. They're Barney Fife type people. And the big heavy set sheriff deputy. I mean, this guy weighs probably 400 pounds. He's, I mean, he's big and round. And, he, and, of course, the only place he could ever work is at a jail or the high school. Because he, if he had to chase a suspect 50 feet, he'd die of a heart attack. Mm. So, so or it'd take him a week. What theories do you have on the burns? Like the one in her face? Like, I think she was laying on something? Oh, no, no, no. I know what those burns on the face are, and that's part of this new, the new documentation that's coming out. I've always known what the burns are. The burns were caused by an electric heating pad that they stuffed in between. See, Stacy was put on the floorboard of the pickup and transported. Her, her back shoulder... She's laid kind of to the side on her right shoulder and upper back. Her butt is lifted up, pushed against the bucket seat. Her butt is lifted up. Her thighs are parallel to her stomach with her knees in her face with her shins up and and being held in place by the dashboard. And that's where she went into rigor like that. That's why she's never been face down. All the blood in her calves and thighs ran downhill to her chest, upper chest cavity, which is the lowest point. And thus you have, see, the, the medical examiners did not note that the, the depth of the lividity is much too dark for just the blood that would normally be in her upper chest cavity if she died laid, you know, flat on the ground. And you don't have lividity in her calves or thighs because it all ran downhill into her chest. 
and face. And thus it's like her face is a glass that with gravity, the blood would settle to the back of her neck and head. But you have so much volume, it filled her up like a, like a cup runneth over. You've got a full cup of blood in a, in a cup that can only hold a third of it. And so it fills her right up to the tip of her nose. So she has the lividity as if she's face down, but she's always been face up. Do you, do you follow? Mm. Yes. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And see, that's why she has no compression points on her face or forehead showing that she was face down. Yeah, and my now, thing, too, is if Rodney had done something to her and transported her, it wouldn't have been all clean and classy the way it was. I mean, she would have had her DNA everywhere. I mean, Well, blood. the other the other part is that that rigor doesn't set up in two hours. Right. You see, rigor is an is a is really from from seven to twelve hour process, depending on temperature. Well, if Stacy died based on on the evidence, and see the way I I initially put time of death is the approximate time that anybody last saw Stacy alive until when she's found dead, and that's and that is the formal way of doing it, you know, as an investigator. The last time you see her alive is the last time anybody knows she's alive, so time of death begins then. And then you try to refine it as you exclude and include evidence. But Stacy was last seen being chased up the stairs by Jimmy. Jimmy killed her right then and there because Jimmy is seen in Bastrop with the pickup and Stacy's dead body in it by 9.30-ish 10. Well, he's got to kill her. He's got to get her body downstairs into the pickup, into the floorboard. He's got to get all of her items and clothes put in trash bags to cover her up to make it look like if he gets pulled over, looks like he's going to do laundry. You see why the clothes were so important? It mm. covered her body on the floorboard. Now how would they keep a heating pad hot? in a okay. uh, Electric heating pad. They moved her body to, you see, originally... When Jimmy left the truck in the hands of the Texas Ranger and Curtis Davis drove him back to Giddings, the Ranger and them decided, eh, well, she's already going into rigor. You know, the blood is setting, lividity. The easiest way to do this is put her body on the railroad tracks and the 430 train goes through Bastrop about 50 miles an hour. Going south, it would chop her into pieces and take care of the lividity and the rigor stuff. And then they could plant the panties that says, oh, these are Stacy's panties that we got off the body. And they could still frame whoever they, you know, law on like they were planning on. But the 430 train didn't run that morning. And so they're waiting and waiting while her body's on the railroad tracks. That's why her truck is parked, you know, like 30 feet from the tracks. And the tracks are behind a row of bushes. You walk up the the side street, it goes over the tracks, so you don't have to walk on the ties and stuff. And you go down the tracks about 15 feet, and her body's now behind a row of bushes, so any cars coming and going wouldn't see it. And her fader's sticking up in the air like if she's in rigor, her feet are sticking up to be catches to catch on the cattle guard, you know, the front of the train, and the rest is history. But the train didn't run. Now, while they're doing this, waiting for the train to run, Paul Alexander comes into the parking lot, sees the truck, and makes a note of it. 
So they're like, oh, crap. We can't put her body back in the truck and move it to another location, so we got to leave the truck here. So I loaded her body in another vehicle and drove it to a site where they had a power supply. Now, the Blue Bonnet Circle, where they found her body, mm-hmm. is off the farm-to-market 1441. Well, guess who lives on 1441 just a you know, little ways from Blue Bonnet Circle? Who? Who's Sheriff Richard Hernandez. Oh, come on. Yep. So here's a question. Here's a question. Here's a question in the stew pot. Um, how would Jimmy get her downstairs into the truck without being seen? Oh, look, this is, you know, this is Giddings, a town uh, even smaller by, by two to three times. Then Bastrop, everybody's in bed by seven. <laughs> I mean, and this apartment complex in 96, uh, it's not a really big economic time. The oil industry crashes over. You're just now getting over that. I mean, the worst of it, the second part of it was in the early 90s, 91, 92, mm-hmm. 93, and it's trying to come out of it. Little Giddings. Probably didn't, and there was no, I mean, there were no jobs. That apartment complex was probably mostly empty. And he's on the front wing section, and he's right downstairs, and there's this truck. I mean, it's not, it's not 50 feet, pretty much. Mm. And so there are only four units, you know, where he is in the little building he is. Right. You're down the stairs. He's he occupies one unit. Carol Stites invo- occupies another. An old guy lives directly underneath him, and I don't know if I've ever seen anybody who lived across the hall. Toppingtons. And and I know Carol had been up. You know, the night before was the big fight that Jimmy picked with Carol over her meatloaf dinner, and she was up crying all that night. She probably slept. See, I mean, Carol doesn't tell the truth. So her saying, oh, I was watching TV on my butt. I bet she was in bed asleep within, you know, as soon as it got dark. And Jimmy just, you know, threw her over his shoulder, maybe rolled her in a, a little throw rug and down to the truck. I don't know. But it wouldn't have been very difficult because there isn't any traffic. It's dead. Mm. And he doesn't, he's not going into a common area. He's on the front of the building, the street there in its country out front of his door. So there's nobody to see him, you know, from the front, because, you know, across the street, row of trees and brush, and then the railroad tracks, and then another dead space of trees and brush. So nobody's going to see him out the front door. He's only got four units, and his truck is parked right at the corner of the unit. So, and from the top floor, he can look down the road and see a car coming, you know, five minutes away. So, I mean, it takes all of 30 seconds to get her down the truck, down the stairs and into the truck. Yeah, definitely. And, and you could definitely just look out and see if anyone's out there. It's- oh, yeah, it's, it's easy. It was easy. And everything is dead. As I said, there was no business. It was, it was, it was a recession time frame in getting. So there was not a lot of business there. And again, by nine ten o'clock, people are you know they're winding down and going to bed. Let's let's. And this is a Tuesday night, Monday night, you know Tuesday morning. I mean, 
There's nothing going on. Let's let's let's. Speaking of winding down and going to bed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, you you get an idea of. Yes. I want to touch a couple of things really quickly before before. Okay, sure. If you could indulge me a little bit, Colleen. Um, a couple of things uh, that, that, that raise my eyebrows would be things like the discovery of the body out in, in this area, the dump at the dump site. Um, this guy picking flowers and, 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 and I, Lisa O'Brien and I went back and forth a couple of times. Um, the last time we spoke back in December when we talked about Ed. Ed Salmela's death. And so there's a question of the flowers. And then there's a question of what happened between the time the lab, the crime lab, left the scene till when it got back to the DPS. Right. Okay. So first... 19, the spring of 1996 was one of the worst drought springs, you know, in memory. Yeah. There had been no rain. There were no wildflowers. I don't think you could find enough wildflowers in the whole Bastrop County to make one bouquet. As you can see in the pictures of the crime scene, you know, there's very little grass. I mean, this is April. Normally, the grass is thick, everything's leafed out. I mean, you can see no bare ground, but you see all bare ground and just a little green here, a little green there, because it was a drought year. And the drought had started in the fall, and Texas wildflowers that bloom in the spring mm-hmm. germinate in the fall, in that October, November, and go through the winter, you know, setting roots and getting, you know, and getting established for the first warm months of of March and April, they explode. And there and everything would be, unless it was mowed, would be two feet tall. All along that road, all that grass, flowers, weeds, everything should be thick and two feet tall if it hadn't been mowed. Okay. And it was there was nothing. And it couldn't be mowed. They weren't mowing that strip because of the of those uh dwarf those uh, miniature plum trees, what we call the, you know, wild plum thicket that she's laid in. And no okay. brush and no mower could go through that. It'd take a brush hog. And you would have seen if a brush hog had gone through there. So that 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 was this guy was from the land office. Right. The governor's land office. He's you know, he works for the state. He was part of it. It, it was all staged and he was picked to find the body. And he played his part. Simple as that. Well, now, it seems that, I mean, it was obvious that they wanted the body to be found, you know, like, uh, it was obvious, you know, they, right. with, the, with the belt hanging out. But, but why, do you, why do you think that they wanted her to be found at a certain time rather than be hidden somewhere? You know, and okay, well, well you, you have to look at, let's go back and look at things. The, the train didn't run at 430 you know why was that just it didn't do it that it night just it just for the grace of god it didn't run that morning <laughs> you know i don't know why <laughs> the, the the railroad company didn't tell me it just didn't run that morning mm-hmm. which means stacy couldn't have been stopped by the train for rodney to abduct her either because it didn't run that morning oh now, so, right so they had to move the body because stacy's in rigor rolled up in a ball with all these fluid discharges coming out of her face and it's all over the floorboard of the truck if she's found that way jimmy's toast so they have to unroll her 
It's a stage the crime scene. Well, there's only two ways to break rigor. Manually, which leaves artifact, you know, where you just get people and you pull until you straighten them out. Mm-hmm. But you do I've physical damage. Hmm? I've actually seen that done before. Yeah, and it, and it causes artifacts, physical damage. You can see bruising of the skin. You can see it. Or if you use heat and warm the body, the warmer the body, the faster the rigor dissipates. <clears throat> now, so safety's rolled up in a ball, tight, knees, legs against her chest, up to her, and her knees in her face. Have you seen the scratches on her body? Yeah. Yep. Those aren't those aren't thorn bushes. The type of briars they're talking about leave us leave a scratch like a cat claw. Very straight, tiny. Those are fingernails. This is a person. Stacy's not on her back when they did this. She's on the side, and the guy is in front of her, and he's trying to stuff that heating pad in that tight place between her knees and thighs, and chest and breast. And this guy, whoever it is, and I bet you it's Richard Hernandez because he has had, still to this day, has real poor grooming of his nails. Mm. You know, and when I've seen him, he's always got nails that look like they should have been cut three weeks ago. Ugh. And so you have fingernail scratches where he's scratching, where he's trying to stuff this heating pad in this tight area. So if you roll her up in a ball and you can see it, at the crime scene, when they're when they when they bring her arms in, you know, while she's on the gurney while they're doing the test, you see the way her her left arm comes up right up to her breast, and her right arm is below it between her her stomach and her her hips in that dead space. Well. The burns are on the all the top of her left, you know, arm and and backside of her hand. They're third degree burns. It's not burns. Her body is cooked. Uh, electric heating pad from '96. It doesn't have a thermostat on it, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. When you put them on high, they get up to about 160 degrees, which is cooking temperature for a crock pot. There's a lot and, of cases where um, nursing home residents are neglected. And, and burned by a heating pad. So, yes, ma'am. Well, well, and, um, well also, uh, you know, a staff will come in and find that the person is dead. They died in their chair and rigor mortis is set in. And they have to, you know, you know, they probably didn't check on this patient for 12 hours. Right. And so they get into trouble. And that's why I've heard you know, situations where they try to manipulate the body back to make it look like she was in bed because, you know, nurses' aides would lie and chart to say that sure. they turned people or that they... People will always try to cover up their mistake if yep. if the agency, you know, is helping them. And the agencies have more to lose than the individual does. So, and you see that. Well, that's what you have here. You have right. you have the law enforcement trying to protect Jimmy, trying to figure out how to undo the rigor and stage Stacy's crime scene. Well, you, so what you see is the body is cooked. Now, I, I learned this from one of the family members that at the funeral they had to close Stacy's casket because it was a hot day, and the funeral home attendant warned the family, and this is Carol Stites and Crystal and Deborah and all the others, that if they didn't close that casket, that the whole left side of Stacy's face 
was getting ready to fall off because it's been reconstructed in wax. Mm-hmm. Because that burn is not a burn. That heating pad cooked her face where the skin is 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 thin next to the bone. Mm-hmm. It cooked her right through the bone, and the flesh fell off, just like the meat off a pot roast bone. So they had to re- reconstruct it in wax. And I'm going to tell you, if the family doesn't get off this, they're going to end up, you know, being Stacy's body's going to be forced to be exhumed, and they don't want that to happen. Mm. They and they better be thinking about this stuff, huh? For justice, they should want whatever it takes for justice. Especially no, but they, so they, they know. But they know. This is why when when state when Carol told me that that Stacy was 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 you know pregnant and it was you know, it was Rodney's kid, I say, I said, Carol, why haven't you come forward and told you know people this, you know, and and. Because it's obvious, it's got to be obvious to you that Jimmy's the killer. And she said, will it bring my daughter back? And I said, Carol, nothing can bring Stacy back. But you can prevent an innocent man from being executed for a crime he didn't do. Mm. And, and make the person who did it, you know, who killed your daughter, pay. You know what she said? Nothing. That's she just sat there in dead silence. She would not respond anymore. I said, "Well, I'm, you know, I've got. I guess I'm, I'm about as shocked as I'm ever going to get. So I guess you know, we'll just go ahead and end it there." She's made several comments publicly um, that Rodney and Stacy did know each other from HEB. Sure. Yeah, she's told family. Yes, but mm-hmm. it's more than that. Yeah, and, definitely. And there's and there's a lot more still, but. The, the point is, when when they use that heating pad, those are fingernail scratches stuffing the heating pad. And if you roll her back up in a ball, and you can see by the way the rigors broke, you can it's easy to roll her back up, and you'll bring that, that, that left thigh in over her breast and over that left hand, and that's where there's a third-degree burn on the inside of that knee. You can see the heating pad is all stuffed underneath her breast, against her face, against the palm of her hand, held by the knee, and all of that's where the burns are. So you can tell Stacy was rolled up in a ball to mm. fit the floorboard of the truck. And they used the heating pad to open her up to stage the crime scene. Well, guess what? You know how long it would take to do that? How long? Probably five or six hours to heat her enough to break that rigor and to cook her like that. And so then you got to your brain dead. You don't. Uh, your body doesn't respond like a normal body. No, no, it doesn't dissipate. So where the easily. right where the heat is, that's where you cook. Right. Because there's no there's no there's no radiator effect going on because there's no fluids moving. Well, then after they get her heated up, she's probably her body temperature is probably going to be 120, 130 degrees. Where you got to let her cool down before you can stay before you can take her and drop her off. So by three o'clock, I mean they're bracing against time. They want her found before dark. And but it took all this time to three p.m. to get to the point that they could fake the crime scene, which shows you tells you her body is still hot as a firecracker when the crime team's there. And I have re- I have requested for any from any of these crime scene people, any records or notes discussing the, the temperature of Stacy's body when it was found. Well, they won't produce any. But the color of the lividity tells you that Stacy 
is way over 100 degrees when her body's found. That's why the lividity is in that deep, deep blue spectrum. If the body starts cooling below the natural body temperature, Mm -hmm. some of the corpuscles next to the skin begin to absorb oxygen through the skin. And they start turning red. And so that's when you start going from the blue spectrum to the reddish-blue, purplish, you know, red-purple. And then the cooler the body gets, the more the lividity goes to red. So by the time you're, you come out of the refrigerator, after being in the refrigerator at the morgue for 12 hours, there's no blue in the lividity. It's all pink and red because all the blood's been reoxygenated since there's no biological processes going on. Hmm? Mm. No, keep going. I'm sorry. So there's no biological processes, you know, to take the oxygen out of the blood. When you're totally cold, gotcha. all the lividity is red and pink. But Stacy, so, the crime scene picture, she is blue. She is in the hardest blue spectrum that there is, which means her body is very, very warm at the crime scene. And she's blue from the moment they leave, they arrive to when they have her on the gurney and they leave. She did that. The color didn't deviate any because that's how warm her body is. And there right. should have been notes about it. And nobody confronted uh, Karen Blakely. I'm guaranteeing you, you bring back and put Karen Blakely on the stand again and the others, and they will tell you but that's what happened where, now. If that, confronted, they will tell you, oh, yeah, we noticed she was hot. We just thought she was in the sun. Now, they knew what was going on. They were part of it. You see it in too many of the notes. And what, by the way, I have them. So that's what's coming. The, the other note. So what, oh, go ahead, Colleen. Now, now, I want to say one thing, Connie. I want to add one little piece if I can. You run the uh, free Rodney Reed Facebook page? Correct. Okay. For all the listeners out here and anybody that knows anybody that's interested in this case, from here on out, Rodney Reed's official Facebook page where you will find the records is going to be free Rodney Reed. You will not find any of this on what they call Rodney Reed's official cage page run by an advocate for Rodney Reed or from Roderick Reed or anybody else. You, these, from here on out, I'm releasing these records for free Rodney Reed's website. And, you, and, you, and Kevin's got them, and he'll give them to you that you can post. Because I talked to the administrator of Rodney's official page, I said, oh, yeah, Dave, we're not going to be updating that until maybe, you know, late March, just before the hearing. Well, sweet. I told them, I told them, <laughs> screw you, that if that's no, what you're going to do. Huh? It needs to be out there. People need Absolutely, to be because if you it. don't, the, this, the, the pressure needs to be brought on the Innocence Project. They're sitting on this stuff. Now, the files that you're getting now, you will see that I turned them over to the local TV station today. Mm -hmm. Dealing with the panties being Marianne Alts. And, oh, by the way, David Lawhon was released from prison last month <gasps> for Marianne Alts murder. He's out. No. Yes. Yeah. I, knew he was, I knew that he was up for parole, and I didn't think they'd actually let him out. Yeah, well, he's out. Who? Who? Huh? Who'd you say? 
David Lohan. David Lohan is now out. The guy who killed Marianne Arlt, he was sentenced to 50 years. And he had to serve 25, and he's out. Now, here's the deal. On the the official uh, jail site. David, sorry. It is Advocates for Rodney Reed. That is the the, the Facebook page that that we, we are using. It's the Advocates for Rodney Reed Facebook page. Oh, Advocates of Rodney Reed, not Free Rodney Reed. Okay. So it's Advocate for Rodney Reed that the listeners and everybody that knows people are interested directly right. to. Because that's where you're going to see all these records. You will not see them on Rodney Reed's official sites because they are not updating that site. Right. And the only way the public can know in order to bring pressure on that, that worthless Innocence Project bunch is to see it and and then ask them what the hell they're doing and why aren't anybody doing anything. Because as it stands, McRae is still Rodney's uh, attorney of record now, even though Bryce. he said on oh, the Bryce. second chair that there's a new attorney coming in who's never come in. A year ago, they said this. And this guy, George Kendall, has still not made his entry of appearance. And you're less than five months from the hearing. Mm-hmm. David, could you help us understand why um, the panties were wet? I mean, I'm not uh, talking about just in the like crotch area, but the entire yeah. You see, yes, wet. you see. Now that you saw that on that autopsy report from Kevin, I did, and I saw it documented. That's from that's from my you, that's my file. You can tell that because right. it's all a timeline. The first time I ever saw that was in 2007 when I pulled those records. Now. The the pieces just came together, and here's the way it works. In the crime, do you like I said? I got to ask you, Ken, because I didn't remember. You haven't seen the actual crime scene video, have you? The the I'm one not. the one that's in the documentary. Okay. Uh, uh, Kevin, you've got it. You've got a, a link to that, right? Uh, do I? I'll I'll send you I'll I'll send you an email with several links that you can provide to to the girls. Okay, cool. The in the crime scene, you have. Karen Blakely swabbing Stacy's panties and her vaginal area, and then she puts the drops from the regent that will react with sperm and acid phosphate and turn dark purple, and there's no reaction. It's just, which means they didn't get anything, which all of a sudden they realize, oh, crap, the sperm on these panties is long-dried, and it didn't transfer to Stacy's body. So... After they left that crime scene, and, and you can see on Jordan Smith's articles in the Austin Chronicle that were done in 2002 with me, yep. I yep. turned over, I think it's uh, DNA Deprived, Reads DNA Deprived. Anyway, I'll pull out the article and send it to Kevin. He can forward it to you. Mm-hmm. In there, Jordan Smith writes, I provided her the morgue log sheet for Stacy. That's not part of that file. It shows that Stacy's body didn't arrive at the morgue until 11 p.m., but it left at 8.55 p.m. Wait, I can't put that up on the screen drive. right now. Yeah. So the body's missing for an hour and a half. Where the hell is mm-hmm. it? Well, in the new records, the DPS crime lab also left the crime scene with her body at 8.55, but didn't arrive at the DPS lab until 11 p.m. either, and it's just a mile or two down the road from the morgue. Mm-hmm. So wherever Stacy's body was, so was the crime lab. Now... When Stacy's body arrives at the morgue, it's got a big nick in the center of her forehead that's not in the crime scene. So her body was mishandled in this hour and a half. Well, guess what? 
I have pictures of Stacy sites with a different pair of panties on. And you can tell these are taking place late at night at another location. Right. And the panties she has on are now dark, dark blue, and they're wet. And I have the blockings from the DPS lab. They're Marianne Alt's panties, too. You see, since they didn't get a good transfer of DNA, they went back to another pair of panties. And this time they wet them and then let them set to soften the dried sperm and semen on those panties of Lahan and then put them on Stacy to get the cross-contamination and then re-swapped. And then, yes, it is. I'm telling you, I thought this was bizarre enough until three weeks ago, and and now with these new records coming from the DPS, I'm going, what the crap is this? So, in essence, you can't. You can't. One thing. One thing more, Kevin, real quick. That means the bra is not Stacy's either. The saliva on the bra has to match the DNA on the panties, which are Marianne Alt's. So the saliva, the bra has to be Marianne Alt's, and it's got to be David Lawhon's saliva on that, too. But they said it's, it's, it's Rodney's saliva. Well, right, because what they did is they simply switched and put Rodney's DNA numbers for David Lawhon, and then everything matches. You see, when the evidence is clear. They intended to frame David Lawhon for, for Stacey Stites' murder in the beginning. And it might have been when they switched and after Lawhon pleaded guilty just to Marianne Alt's death and that, that they decided they were going to go ahead and frame Rodney, that Ed Somala dropped out of this conspiracy and got himself killed. Mm. See the timing all the time all the pieces fit for that for that now that's just speculation. But that's Something happened that 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 pulled Ed out of this cabal. His case is something else I would love to look into down the road. Can you imagine how the movie's going to going to go with this? <laughs> Kevin and I were joking about that. We're not going to tell you the punchline, but we were talking <laughs> about how this thing. This is, I mean, this bizarre story. Everybody's just going to be sitting going, "I can't believe that." That surely that didn't happen. Nobody, nobody could believe, and yet that's exactly is... how people feel when they watch Making a Murderer about Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey. Right. It's and and that doesn't even touch this. So the uh, magnitude of the tampering in this. Uh, it's pretty. It's pretty on par. Yeah. Right. What's that, right. Colleen? Well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry if I'm interrupting. I'm like, no. Go ahead. No, you're fine. It's um. So I'm having a hard time, like getting around. Like you know, I'm just assuming that that they were framing Rodney all the time. I'm trying to get around that because that's the way I've been thinking for the for a long time. So what pops into my head is that um, the document that um, that David Ford printed on the day they found Stacy's body that listed Rodney as you know a p- potential uh, suspect in sexual assaults, and it had the dates, the five dates, mm-hmm. right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and, and Parnell Barnett, which is Pat Barnett, who actually right, raped, right. live in Harbottle. Well, actually, the date of that report is not true. That's all backdated. You see, what David Board doesn't tell you is that there was actually, you know, he says he pulled the sex offenders for Bastrop. 
Mm-hmm. Ne- neither Pat Morbinet or Rodney Reed is, is listed as a sex offender. But there is, there was a sex offender in Bastrop, registered sex offender in Bastrop, whose house where he lived from the back porch, he could stand on the back porch and see the parking lot where Stacy's truck was. And David Borg signed, he had just moved back to Bastrop in December 95, and David Borg signed his sex registration card. I have copies of it. And they and they and David Borg did not mention his name, although he's a black male. In '89, uh, David Borg tried the same scam of charging him with rape as he did with Rodney with Carolyn Revis, and that woman refused to press charges too. You see, there's a lot more to this than, than y'all have ever heard, and and and. That person, the reason David Moore didn't didn't include his name with the list is the reason this guy was in Bastrop is because he was the only witness in a gang murder in Austin. And the DA's office moved him back to Bastrop to keep him from being killed before he could testify in this gang murder, Hispanic gang murder. And so... All of Bastrop had to leave him alone, even though he's a black male, because he was a witness in a big case in Austin. So they didn't, they didn't include him in this list. It's kind of mind-blowing that David Lahan was released on parole during this epidemic. Where well, well, let me, let me explain, so well, well, let me explain what it looks like they're doing, and you'll understand this. David Lahan's, uh, according to his conviction... The first day he would be eligible for parole would be May 26th of this year. Rodney's hearing is May 17th, so it's almost 10 days apart, just like the death of Stacy and Marianne Alt are 10 days apart. That's I eerie. suspect, huh? That's I'm, just I'm, eerie. Yes. Now, what I suspect and believe is going on here now is the Innocence Project, the reason nobody's come in, they've done nothing, is this hearing before Langley is going to be a disaster. And it's intended to be a disaster. And and the court, I don't know if you've, you've known, uh, here about two weeks ago, the Court of Criminal Appeals issued an order to Langley, ordering him to complete this hearing and and finalize this stuff by June 13th of this year. Mm-hmm. was just just ordered. Now, right. that means that Langley will hear this. He will immediately refuse, you know, uh, the the relief sought by the defense rule. David? We lost him. Oh, we lost him. That's odd. Man, I'm just like... My brain is on overload. I'm just blown away. Yeah. And so can you imagine what I go through? Um, some of this information uh, was was not yet ready for release. Um, I still have David listed as, as on this call. I don't know what's happening. And um, so... While he was putting all these parts together, uh, 
and still is working on gelling the pieces, you know, it, it all falls into play and we 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 look at the information as it comes in and as it, it sets up. And this is the picture that it is painting. It is not to say that um, this is exactly how it is, but this is the picture that it is painting and it is raising, which is why I said it raises more questions as yeah. we find answers. Yeah, that makes sense. And so here is David. And 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 so here we get more and more questions. Welcome back, David. Hey, yeah, I just got knocked offline. I was, you know, I don't know how much you heard of that, but well, the funny thing is, it still shows you as connected. So, oh, it just went. I mean, I heard crash, duck, and then dead. Yeah, you were only gone for like fifteen seconds. They, okay, we're good at that. Okay, so I they're just out to get you. <laughs> they're out to get you. They don't want you telling well, they, the rest well, they of can, it. They can kill my phone anytime they want. I could care less about that. <laughs> I agree with that. So you're saying but, that it so is anyway, looking you, to, you, to, to... You now do, see what I think that they're planning. Right. So it, the, the, the hearing becomes a disaster, which leaves Rodney in what position, though? Exposed. You know, and of course, I know that his brother Roderick and Sandra, well, they'll want him to take that plea deal. Because there won't be any more, you know, any more relief granted by the Court of Criminal Appeals. The Court of Criminal Appeals wants Rodney gone, too, because they, they're, they're up to their eyeballs in this, too. Yeah, see, but let me, let me, let me explain. the next step after them be federal court, like, appeal to... Oh, yeah, well, you, it goes on up the line, but those go real fast at this late stage. Now, let me explain something else. <clears throat> Rodney's habeas hearing on the beer cans... Mm-hmm. The Court of Criminal Appeals ruled that they wouldn't look at it in February 2002 because right. they said it was an illegal second habeas. Yeah, well, guess what, people? That's on me. I did that. How so? I didn't realize it until years later. You see, I filed a complaint with the Public Integrity Unit of Travis County charging Lisa Tanner with perjury in that evidentiary hearing and falsifying records. Now in Texas, any anyone who commits a fraud on a state agency in Austin mm-hmm. is prosecuted by the public integrity unit of the Travis County DA's office because all state offices are in Austin. It doesn't matter if the fraud occurred in Bastrop, when you submit when you commit perjury and falsify records in a court case, and that case is then forwarded to the appellate courts, mm-hmm. immediately upon receipt by the appellate courts, you have committed a third-degree felony, multiple third-degree felonies. And that's what my what my complaint is. It's aimed at Lisa Tanner and Mitzi Wolf over the perjury over those beer cans and the DNA lab report that they testified to. The DA's office, I amended it in, in late November, the DA's office looked at it, and, in, and on December 21st, 2001, the, the head of the Public Integrity Unit at that time, Mary Farrington, called me and said, Oh, Dave, we've looked at your complaint, and we found it lacked merit. Well, we got into a fight real fast. I told her, Look, this is not my opinion. This is the law, lady. These are the facts. And if you want to stand on that, fine. I can have a press conference by the end of the day Friday, 
and and you can and you can deal with that. Well, we well she got really upset. And I said, look, I got to go. I got to call. You know, I got to start working on this press conference. Well, about 15 minutes or so after I hung up, I get a call from the DA's office again, her boss, asking if I would give them another 30 days to relook at this. I agreed. You know what Mary Farrington did? She resigned. A new head of the Public Integrity Unit came in, Greg Cox. On January 3rd, 21st, Greg Cox calls me, says, Dave, we've looked at your, your complaint, and we found that we lack jurisdiction. I'm just I'm just summarizing this real quick. I said, mm-hmm. I appreciate y'all taking the time. Thank you for your, you know, for your attention and your courtesy and goodbye. That was at the end. That was just around 5 p.m. on December 22nd, 2001. I knew what that meant, and so at eight nine o'clock in the morning on the 22nd, I'm down at the Bastrop District Clerk's office, just in time to hear the assistant clerk talking with the Court of Criminal Appeals, asking them to return the evidentiary hearing file to the Court of Criminal Appeals. You see, they returned it. They sent it back to Bastrop, then had the Public Integrity Unit come and investigate, and since there was no, the perjured file wasn't in the possession of the Court of Criminal Appeals, there's no foul, Mm. no perjury, no authority for the Public Integrity Unit. So after the public integrity unit calls me, tells me they're closing the case because they lack jurisdiction, they then call Bastrop to send the file back, and I catch them. If you look at the evidentiary hearing file transcript, you'll see its time date received at the Court of Criminal Appeals on January 28, 2002. It was originally given to the court with the rest of the state habeas on November 8th, 2001. But the only way they could get around my complaint to the public integrity unit about Tanner's perjury was to send the file back and then have the public integrity unit do their investigation in December and January. And after they closed it, send the file back. And it came in, and they file-stamped it, received a second time at a late date, and that's what the court said. Oh, wait, the state habeas was received in November 2001. This one is 2002. It's an illegal second habeas, and we won't look at it. That's how they got around the beer can DNA stuff. And um, Lisa O'Brien talked about um, nothing happening you you filing charges against Lisa Tanner and nothing happening. Where is that happening? This explains why well, that, that nothing was, that happened. Was, those were those were the charges. But they but sending the file back. Now here's the deal. I can prove all of this. You see, right. this the state didn't win anything, and the court of criminal appeals didn't get away. Even though the court of criminal appeals, this wasn't the judges that did this. This was the general counsel and the attorneys for the Court of Criminal Appeals. And you know what happened to the general counsel when I caught him? What? They fired him. Okay. What was the so, outcome of your complaint against Lisa? Well, because they ruled that the habeas is an illegal second habeas, then the court would never review it, and thus there's no charges I could bring directly. But there will be charges coming against Lisa Tanner as all of this falls out and they start having to, you know, Rodney gets a new trial. See, Rodney, here's something. 
that though they have laid this all out to have Rodney plead guilty in order to keep from being executed later this year, something you got to understand about Rodney. Rodney will allow himself to be executed before he'll plead guilty to killing Stacy. Well, I agree. And like, I think with the most truest of innocent people, that's what that's, that's what right. do. I mean, so Adam, Briz- Adam Brazil was just finally exonerated after taking his Alfred plea. Um, but he fought it and he did win and he won his full exoneration. But there are many out there that would die before they admitted guilt. Right. But right. Rodney, Rodney is one that will not take the plea. And so, and with, and see this, and see, I'm trying to prevent Rodney from ever being put in the position for that to happen. Either the Innocence Project's going to get their butt in gear, or they're destroyed. Because I have, I have other news, national news organizations, and the legislature that's working on this right now that are getting these documents. And with with Biden in office, and 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 crowing about he's going to fix the judicial system for for abuse of people of color and law enforcement abuse of people in color is there any bigger poster child than rodney with kim kardashian and dr phil not at this point and then with the and with my with my records coming in what do you think is going to happen the state is in between a rock and a hard place what's that colleen this is like not um i mean the as far as criminal justice goes and with the Biden administration and they're trying to, you know, have more prosecutorial accountability and so forth. But, but Texas is like separating themselves. Texas is a whole different world. And I mean, in in this case, like Lisa Tanner is so close to Abbott and Ken Paxton. Like it's. Yes. Oh yeah. But you know what? An albatross around your neck, even to people like Paxton and Abbott is not. A pleasant, you know, thought. And remember, it's Ab- it's it's Paxton's office that has acknowledged that Lisa Tanner has, and Mitzi Wolf have been moving and hiding records, you know, from this case file at their AG office in in Austin. Right. And you see, that is the kiss of death. And plus, you show one of the records that they're hiding, and you see. Wait till you see the timeline file on the evidence from the high school parking lot, mm-hmm. and the and the file on the fax cover sheet because these are all timeline files too, where where they're trying to withhold the evidence. You see, in one of the other responses that you you'll get the one on the on the uh, statements of Carol Stite and and Jose Coronado. Yeah. Well, the the next one shows. Lisa Tanner arguing herself in her own name that the release of this evidence would interfere with her ability to prosecute Rodney's appeal. This is Tanner, you know, stating in 2001 that if they release this record to me, it will interfere with her ability to prosecute Reed's appeal. And this is the record where um, Tanner's acknowledging she knows that they tampered with the evidence at the high school parking lot and then suborned perjury at trial to get the check carbons into evidence that were never found. There's no chain of custody on them. And this is and they did this with the check carbons to cover Jimmy Fennell closing his bank account the morning he and at the time he's supposed to be looking for Stacy's dead body or Stacy broke down on the road. 
He closed he closed his bank account at eight, and then drove to Bastrop to meet Curtis Davis at the jail. It's so weird. It, it, it it's crazy stuff, and they left the paper trail. And Lisa Tanner thinks she's so smart that she left herself wide open for me, because I noticed right away. Her personality, if I pointed out a defect in the evidence, she'd fix it. And so I let her. Mm-hmm. I would make a claim for something or alert something in an article and sit back and wait. And then go back mm-hmm. and request that record and she would have changed it to fix the problem. Only she didn't know that I already had the record. So the new one doesn't match the original one. So wow. can I ask a question real fast? When, mm-hmm. when, you, say, um, when you say that when this evident, when it's filed against her on this, the timestamps, and then this is filed against her. When you say that, who are, who, who are you referring to? Like, who's filing, who's filing this stuff against her? Well, I, I filed the complaint with the Public Integrity Unit accusing her of okay. perjury and falsifying okay. records. And the way, the only way they could defeat it was to send the evidentiary hearing file back where she and Mitzi Wolf committed perjury in the testimony right, at right. that evidentiary hearing and then returning it to the court and file stamping it in, you know, on January twenty eighth, two thousand two. But it was all it was all submitted together with the state's habeas that they ruled on. It's just they broke it apart to try to defeat my complaint to the public integrity unit. Mm-hmm. Right. And so see, I've read I've read the letter and they basically like regarding the beer cans, they, you know, uh, Lisa Tanner says, you know, she didn't she thought that Missy, you know, her girlfriend must have given it to him, <laughs> given them the evidence to defense. And then Missy. Yeah, they're trying to cover each other's like, butt. Yeah, yeah. Right. Which is why you don't put a couple. <laughs> why well, exactly. But but you see, there's more there's more to this. You see, they also introduced that fluffy letter. And evidence. Mm-hmm. You know why they did this? No. They were putting on record that they notified the defense at that hearing that they were in a relationship Wait, to cover what? themselves, so they can't be com- forced. If if this came apart, they can't be forced to testify against each other because same-sex couples have the same rights as married couples now to not be compelled to testify against each other. It's very clever. Now, and you only have the letter, but you see, having the reporter at the hearing, she told me what else happened. They had a little break, and then Tanner and Wolf are telling the court and Barbish and Judge Townsley on the bench, oh, yeah, how they, you know, they're in a relationship, and how, you know, Tanner's pet nickname for Mitzi is Fluffy, and the, and the reporter tells me that Judge Townsley's on the bench looking like somebody's making him eat a sour deer pickle. But this was necessary in order that they could fall back on claiming that they told the defense that they were in a relationship. Yeah, this is after the trial. The damage has already been done. That won't save you, but it's a clever maneuver. That's the only reason they put that fluffy letter out there. But you know what that fluffy letter did? What's that? It allowed me to compare those handwritten notes that they're alleging to be Lisa uh, Elizabeth Johnson's. Mm. Tanner wrote those. It's in Tanner's handwriting. Ah, uh, yeah, there's no. I broke that. it. Yeah. Oh, oh no. See, 
here's the deal. Calvin Garvey asked Elizabeth Johnson to only test third-party DNA. The only third-party DNA in the case are those hairs found on Stacy's body. The beer cans were always claimed to be separate and not part of the crime scene. And the defense never asked those beer cans to be tested. They just asked for the blood samples of the seven suspects and the extraneous rapes for Hamby and Harbottle. And that's all on the lab report that I, that I pulled the records on originally in 2001 and gave to Jordan uh, Smith to do the articles about in 2002. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Lisa claims that, oh, she worked for a, for a shipping company, and I don't know how this is done. And I just called somebody and said, where are those shipping documents? Yeah, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, when I, when I want to track something, like when I mail something that doesn't arrive, I called the company and said, yeah, put me in touch with shipping, please. Our tracking. Our tracking and shipping, and they do. And I asked the person, I said, yeah, can you, can you track this shipment? Oh, sure. Pull it up on the computer. And they say, oh, Dave, we've never shipped this stuff. We never picked this stuff up. These numbers are not good numbers. And then Jordan Smith did the same thing. And they told Jordan the same thing, that they never shipped this stuff. And the general counsel for the DPS. Hmm? I think I was just... And the general counsel for the DPS says the same thing in writing. And I had the Austin American Statesman reporter in December 2015 request for all documentation for the shipment and payment of those shipments in the Reed case. And the DPS says they have no records, period. Because they never shipped them, they never ordered them, they never, it, it was never done. Because the defense never asked for them. Remember, Rodney's attorney said Rodney was having an affair with Stacy. Ergo, any DNA between Rodney and Stacy is best evidence of the affair. Right. Why would they have their, right. their lab tested on top of that? And then Lisa O'Brien talking about she's got the bills proving? Yes. I told her, you have been... my re- she has my records I gave Bryce Benjet. I pulled from the auditor every payment made in Reed's case in 2001. But if she had a brain in her head, she would understand that based on the amount of work and time and travel to the lab, back to her office, back to the lab, back to trial to testify, briefing Calvin Garvey, writing him pages of notes on how to cross-examine the witnesses, you would find Elizabeth Johnson at $150 an hour burned up all of that money that's in that billing. There wasn't any money left for any major DNA testing because she didn't test any. That's, that's, that's not, a huge uh, point that we go back and forth with them about all the time is is those exact records. And it's like I have Le- I have all of the files from Elizabeth Johnson. Then she says, oh, well, why didn't you call her? I did. And in her notes from her file, she has my name, although she puts a C in it. She had my home phone number at the time. She noted that I was a consultant for the Reed family, and she never called me back. But she did take... Jordan Smith's call, and she told Jordan, 
I tested everything I was requested to test. Oh, isn't that a strange admission? When I have the letter from her to Calvin Garvey, you know, and to the court, that she was asked to test third-party DNA. Well, what other third-party DNA was there other than the hairs found on her body? There wasn't any. And that's the only report she delivered to the court that she testified about. Hence, yeah, no need see, to address this, anything else. Yeah, this is, this is, you know, this is all smoke and mirrors. And again, remember, Lisa O'Brien holds herself out as a victim's advocate, which means she's always going to ignore anything that that is evidentiary that doesn't fit her scenario because she's a victim's advocate. She's like an attorney, like, like Phillips is for, for Jimmy Fennell, Attorney Phillips. Mm-hmm. No matter what you say, Phillips is going to say, oh, no, Jimmy, Jimmy, he didn't do that because he's Jimmy's attorney. He'll always say that Jimmy never did it, no matter what the evidence is. Well, that's why Lisa O'Brien is. Hmm? Yeah, That just makes a lot of sense on, um, you know, because I've only been in this community for two years, and I've always had a hard time understanding how it is that these people cannot look at the actual physical facts and science of a case and still sit there and say this and that, but it makes so much sense you saying it, a victim's advocate, because... She's always going to advocate for the family. They're the they're the yeah. victims in her eye. I'm yeah. telling you, that family is not a victim. They are not victims. Stacy was a victim. Someone yeah. asked. The, so, the, the the families are 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 simply enablers of a corrupt system. I agree. They know the truth. They've known the truth from the beginning. All Stacy's sisters know she was pregnant, and they won't say because it's known that you know if. If that comes out, then you got a problem. Now, Lisa O'Brien wants to say, oh, Fisher doesn't understand Paris and Gravis. And, <laughs> no, you don't understand, lady. I know Bayard. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. had fun reading reading yeah. that nice right. little thing with Kevin and her. Yeah, the, the <laughs> original, the old Latin for Paris was, was used to differentiate between animals that bear living young and those that lay eggs, Avi, Paris, and Paris. And then the, in time, the Latin words change. Well, you see, Bayardo is a Mexican national, and he has a history of, of tampering and falsifying autopsy reports. And bus, trust me, I have a lot of examples, because I was responsible for having them removed. Now, in, in what, now, there's two cases in where he used the word Paris for the woman. Only two mm-hmm. cases. And both of them are tied together. It's Michael Morton's case. Remember Michael Morton? Mm-hmm. Bayardo put that Michael Morton's wife was Paris and Rodney's. <clears throat> and both of them hinge on time of death and withholding evidence. Now, I have another autopsy to show by what Bayardo does. We had a 15-year-old girl stabbed to death by her boyfriend at the Reagan High School in 2003. The girl, her, the girl went to the Travis County Family Planning Unit at 15 and had her boyfriend's, her ex-boyfriend's fetus aborted while her mother was out of the country, you know, on her honeymoon. Now, she told her crazy boyfriend 
earlier in the day that she at lunch she was going to have his child aborted. He told her if he did, if she did, he'd kill her. So she comes back seventh, eighth period after the abortion. She goes straight to his homeroom, tells the teacher it's an emergency. She needs to talk to him. Teacher gives him permission to go talk to her. He picks up his backpack, gets his butcher's knife, goes out in the hall. She tells him she killed his kid. He stabs her to death. Now, at this time, I was consulting for the African ministers in Austin. So all of her girlfriends, these are African-American kids, all of her girlfriends call their ministers. They're upset about her being killed and, you know, after aborting her baby, and the ministers call me. And so I file a request with the morgue for the autopsy report. I get it. As soon as I get it, I see indications that they wrote this for me. I immediately turn around and file a records request with the morgue for the names and dates of everybody else that got a copy. Well, the first person who got a copy was the attorney for the dead girl's boyfriend. I know the attorney. I call him, ask him if he'd fax me a copy of his autopsy report. He does. And I compare the two. In my autopsy report, talking about the vaginal area, the paragraph ends with this little statement. There was no pregnancy. In the attorney's copy for the for the for the dead girl's boyfriend, that sentence is missing. And all of the other copies that went to the press, the TV stations, none of them had that statement. They wrote that in specifically for me. And this is Bayardo again. Tell you. <laughs> the Bayardo again. You got There you go. It. I have multiple uh instances of Bayardo writing double autopsies for the same on the same day for the same case where one is an accidental death and the other is a homicide. It's a pick or choose for the DA, whichever way they want to go. That's how corrupt Bayardo was. So I know when Bayardo uses an odd phrase like Paris, he's not saying the obvious. He's got a word in there that he can play Mm-hmm. You know, definitions with, and Paris is just one word that you can do that. It can mean that you have born alive young, as as Lisa's trying to crow about. It can also mean that she was carrying a living fetus, too, just as easily at the based time on, of her death. Based on original Latin translation. Based on original Latin translation, and then what Carol Stites told me that Stacy was pregnant at the time of death. Now, after that, do you know what Lisa Tanner released in 2014 before Rodney's first execution attempt? What's that? No. A handwritten note from the files from one of the detectives questioning one of the original suspects and friend, you know, ex-boyfriend and classmate of Stacy, where he said, where it's reported in the detective's note, although there's no name on the detective, that this 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 witness told him that Stacy told the witness that she had a miscarriage in February or March of '96. Oh, really? Ronnie Reveal? Huh? No, 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 no. Reveal? This is not. No, 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 no. It's not from Ronnie Reveal. It's from another. Oh, another one. Yes. Wait. And, another hmm? pregnancy? No, Ronnie Reveal never talked about a pregnancy, and nobody's ever seen his statement. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe no, and and Ronnie didn't. Ronnie Reveal did not testify. Ronnie Reveal, though, is a kid, a critical witness, 
based on the time frame of when and how the Texas Ranger and Detective Barton got his name. And here's the way it worked. Jim Fennell flunks his second polygraph, asserts his right to counsel, which makes him the only and immediate suspect. That's December of 96. You have Christmas, right after Christmas and New Year's, Ranger Wardlow contacts Carol Stites. And now, knowing, knowing the way detective investigations work, what, what Rocky Wardlow is, he's telling Carol that now Jimmy Fennell is the suspect. And what can she tell them that implicates him as Stacy's killer? Well, she tells them. Now, Carol Stites is, if anything, a loose cannon. <laughs> She's not somebody you would ever, on her word alone, arrest a police officer or really anybody else. So they ask her, is there anybody else you know that Stacy talked to that confirmed what you're saying? They need a corroborating witness. She gives them the name of Ronnie Reveal. Now, in Ranger Wardlow's report, it mentions nothing about what Rodney Reveal told him. But in, in Barton's report, Rodney Reveal told them that Stacy and he went to high school in Smithville, hadn't seen each other since then, until she went to work at the produce department at HEV. And part of her job was to come over on Wednesdays and check the prices of the produce at Walmart. And Ronnie Reveal worked in the produce department. And so they rekindled their friendship. And when she would come over every Wednesday to check the prices, that they would take a break together and have coffee. The last time he saw her was the Wednesday before her death. And she seemed down and depressed. So he asked her what was wrong. And she said she was having trouble with her fiancé and he had a violent temper. That's in Barton's summary of that report. Now, here's the question. They, now, after that, they take Ronnie Reel's statement. Nobody's ever seen. It's one of those hidden. And they go back. This time, they, they go to Corpus and take Carol Stites' written statement, which is going to corroborate what Ronnie Reel says. They're getting ready to rest for now. Now, here's the question. Did Stacy tell Carol about her conversations with Ronnie Reveal. With mm. everything else going on and Carol's notes about, you know, the problems and that she's telling Stacy if she's going to get out of this marriage with Fennell, it's now or never. Yeah. She knows the problems. There is no, whether Stacy's talking to Ronnie Reveal or not, I, I doubt that Stacy would have wasted the time to tell Carol about that. But when Stacy went missing and has turned up dead, what do you think Ronnie Reveal's going to do? He's going to pick up the phone and call Carol and say, you need to be looking at the boyfriend based on what Carol told me. So if Ronnie Reveal calls Carol Stites and warned her about Fennell, that changes everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. And see, this is what they've been hiding, because that's the way, based on the records and the timeline, that's the way this happened. And out of panic, David Board, you know, rushes those garments of Carolyn Revis down to the DPS to test against the DNA, you know, on Stacy allegedly. What two years later? Well, wait though. a minute. These are the same people that 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 engaged in the cross contamination of 
David Law, Marianne Alt's panties on Stacy. Do you think they told the truth about anything? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Not to mention the two years that 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 the evidence from um <laughs> been sitting with with David Board. Listen. Well, <laughs> oh yeah, with all the stuff Jeez. with David Board, and you see when you mention that uh, that uh, Rodney was arrested on his birthday, you know, from a charge from criminal trespass. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, Ed Somala's uh, brother, Lee Somala, I think it was Lee. It could have been it could have been Troy, but I think it was Lee. He know you know they 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 grew up in Bastrop. They knew David Board. He was with David Board in a patrol car one night. They're doing a drive around. Mm-hmm. And they're parked at a convenience store, and this black guy walks out of the convenience store. And David Ward says, huh, his number's up this, you know, this Wednesday. And mm-hmm. he goes, what, what are you talking about? He says, well, that guy right there. He says, you know, he, he'll, you know, he gets his time card punched this, you know, this Wednesday. He goes, well, what are you talking about? I don't understand. He says, well, it's this way. You know, you know, I set up out down the road from the house, you know, of these black guys on their birthday. Because they're going to be drinking beer, and they'll and inevitably during the night they'll run out of beer, and they'll go get in the car to drive to the you know, convenience store to pick up a number of suspects, and I'll pull them over and arrest them. He says, "I pop these guys <laughs> on their birthdays. They where they know that it's me." And I thought, "What the hell?" When I heard that, so I started pulling people in the Rodney Reed case, pulling their criminal history, and looking, and sure enough, you have the arrests on their birthdays. Hmm. And just like the, hmm? just a little game he's playing. Yes. Oh, and, and he makes himself. sure you know about it. See on the on the sex offender guy. See David Board, you know, arrested him, set him up, and arrested him on the rape charge on July eleventh, eighty nine, in Bastrop. The girl refused to press charges, just like Michelle, Cast- just like. Uh, um, uh, uh, Oh, darn it. <laughs> you know, um, Rodney's ex-girlfriend. Uh, uh, not, well, you're not Carolyn talking Revis. about... Just like Carolyn Revis. So, whenever David Ward wanted to go after this guy, he would do it on July 11th of whatever year. Now, I know <laughs> this because in 2002, the guy's wife came to me crying. I knew her family that they were setting up on her husband again to revoke his parole. And so I took a look at the case and went through it and saw these the pattern every July 11th, you know, that something would happen in this case. Not every year, but all every time something major happened, it all started on July 11th of whatever year, including in 96, they filed criminal charges claiming, and this is in January of 96, alleging that this guy was driving without a license on July 11th, 1991. Mm-mm. And they're going to, and they prosecuted him for it. In 96. Charged him several hundreds of dollars, almost seven, eight hundred dollars. Five years in later. In Texas, there's, yes, and there's a two-year statute of limitation on Driving offenses in Texas. You know who swore the affidavit that this guy was driving without a license and they didn't write any ticket or anything? Ooh. The lead detective 
at that time in Rodney's case, David Campos. And Pinnock prosecuted. I have the whole file. See, it was racial profiling out the wazoo, and it and they alleged that he was driving without the license on July 11th. And you know, David Board, he orchestrated, and he's laughing his butt off. You know what, David? <laughs> I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna put a pause on tonight's proceedings. Yeah, we have to because it's, it's no longer but, tonight. It's it's tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, but not for the sake, not not because the information isn't relevant. It's because the information is so much. Right, and so what we're going to do is you're going to get some additional files. So we'll we'll schedule a new and and the girls will probably want to be back because you're going to start getting the files. You already have the right. file showing, you know. Uh, Carolyn Rivas's panties on Stacy, and you're going to see the crime video, and you're going to understand that when they didn't get any response, they had to well, then go for another Alls. pair of panties on M- her again. Marion Alls panties. Correct. Yeah. And so That's you can see the tampering from day one. Right. Yeah, there's so many more things we need to talk about. Right. Like so said, it's just do we, we don't have to talk about that woman who's can't say the nameless name. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you know what? I, I think we put that to bed. To bed. I don't think anybody needs to worry about this woman anymore because you understanding that she considers herself an advocate, so nothing's going to make any difference. She's always going to see the other side of an issue. Right. Evidence isn't going to change her mind. You know, so she can, you know, she can go off and do what she wants to do. She wants to be a. Uh, an advocate and 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 lie, cheat, and steal to get somebody executed. Well, you're in good company with Lisa Danner and Mitzi Wolf. Okay. All the good vibes so, to who Josie calls Lisa O'Lyon. So. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I like here, that. Here. I like that. Um, one of the things but I that... didn't say that. I didn't say it, <laughs> but I do. I but do, do like, like it. it. I mean, it is it is funny. Right. So. Nosy uncensored. One one of the yeah, things I don't, I don't take shots. You know, I try not to take shots. Right. And people expressing their own opinions. Anybody's entitled to her own opinion. And if she's right. ever argued into a corner, she'll come flying back at you. It's my opinion. I'm entitled to my own opinion. You are. You are, lady. But I don't have, you know, I don't take the time to argue with people who are expressing their own opinions. One of the things. I try to tell her in the, in the exchange that we live in different worlds. Yes. I live in the world of evidence and facts. She lives in the world of opinions and emotions. I live in a world where 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 lawyers contact me for my expertise, she lives in a world where nobody contacts her for her expertise. <laughs> Wait, she, she has, a, like she has a couple of podcasts. I was not trying to. I was just telling the truth. That's okay. That's um, okay. Yeah. So so one of the things that that it is being requested that you address, David, if if you have any information on it, is is Gary Joe Bryant's. Uh, death and um... okay. I looked at Gary Joe Bryan's case. The autopsy was done by Bayardo. The toxicology report is signed by Bayardo, which is a falsified record. Gary Joe Bryant was shot with two different caliber guns. It's clear from the evidence that Gary Joe Gary Joe Bryant was dead when those guns when those bullets hit him. He was already dead. Hmm. Yeah, we're going to have to go into that one, too. Yeah. yeah so, I have that autopsy report and that file and the Texas Ranger report and, 
and the like. So, but you see, the problem with that one is uh-huh. that it was never investigated. So, and and Giddings is a small town, and I'm gonna uh, and I should have done this to you before. I'm gonna give you some literature written about the police chief from Giddings yeah. that was in charge when Fennell was there. A, right. a bigger racist bigot you have never come across in your life. So Jimmy Fennell was well at home in Giddings under that police chief. Mm. Is information on people in office during a time like that, is information like if you could find cold hard facts on um, something, an accusation like that, would that be relevant to Rodney's case in any way? And, and, you know, when you started arguing, you know, and presenting, you know, a trial, but it has nothing to do with the conviction. You see, the convictions are based on the evidence of the crime at hand. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And so, see, so, and see, we're, okay. when you haven't seen, we've, we've touched over stuff, but you really haven't seen the documents. And the documents from the first day that Stacy went missing all tell you that Jimmy did it. And you see everybody involved in trying to cover for Jimmy. It's the first day. All the evidence points 100% at Jimmy. And then over the next several days and months, they work at eliminating that evidence, working it out of the case. And when you see that, you go, what the hell is this? And that's why when I filed a public records request, for the DPS, Texas Ranger Rocky Wardlow, spreadsheet on the evidence collected at the high school parking lot that he rewrote it after Ed's death. I did this for one reason and one reason only. See, I already had it. I wanted Lisa Tanner to publicly, you know, state that she was aware that all of this evidence was manufactured and they're presenting it at trial, mm-hmm. was known by her. It was suborning perjury. It was introducing false records. It was intentional. And what does she do? She files an immediate exception claiming that if they release that report to me, it would interfere with her ability to prosecute Reed's appeal. Really? You think so? Mm. Now, what do you think, what kind of hammer do you think that's going to drop? She did it to herself. I already had this record. I just wanted her to let everybody know she was aware of the magnitude of this of this report, its fraudulent nature, and tell everybody in writing that she was aware, which she did. So And that's where she used her name as arguing that the release that Lisa Tanner of the attorney general's office says that if they release this record to me, it will interfere with her ability to prosecute Reed's appeal. Really? How do you think she could spin that? Because this well, becomes, I tell you what, she, she's, she's a, a slippery little weasel. Yeah. She's a slippery little weasel. And I tell you what, I'd love to see that one because I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I've, I've seen some, some really crazy people try to talk themselves out of a corner. I suspect this one's going to be on the same level of those crazy people. So, yeah, hey, I'm I'm all for it. 
because she doesn't say things without or write things without really thinking about <clears throat> you're right She's but you know what football. yeah but you know what she never does she never challenges me mm. yeah, have true. you ever heard her make a comment about me or 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 dispute anything no, she won't because she knows I've got the records and I'll back them up. Yeah. So she but ignores what she me. What she really says is that, you know, that she's confident that she got, the, she, she can't put it in her mind um, how it could have happened and that she's confident they got the right guy, but they, but she doesn't address any specific. Yeah. I issue. think Justice Mangala made that comment about, you know, on what he did to the Jewish kids too, that he couldn't justify in his mind why it wasn't right for him to do it. And I've always made it, made it, comparison mitzi wolf and lisa tanner you know are have to be descendants from joseph mangala they have to be in the same family because <laughs> they're capable of doing the same thing and has and and no morals about it mm. and see rodney's not the only person they've done this to. they've already That's executed right. people that i've looked at cases where where dna just magically appeared when lisa tanner and mitzi wolf arrived These David. two are killers. These two are killers. Literally. Um, and, you're, and they have no qualms about it. You know, they just merrily on their way. And I don't know. I have never seen them go after a woman before. So I mean, maybe just they're man haters. But I don't believe that. I believe they'd go after a woman, especially a woman of color, just as fast as they'd go after, you know, any male of color. Yeah. Um, but, but but these two are walking crime machines, and there's no ifs ands or buts about that. So, and if you don't, and Lisa, Missy, sue me. <laughs> you think I'm slandering you? Sue me and see what happens. You see, when when you can make statements like those, as bold as that, you know you have something <laughs> in your pocket. You you the, feel like maybe I'm fishing. Uh, you. <laughs> Fish, <laughs> Fisher just hey, by name. No, let me tell you, I didn't mean that as it came out. I didn't catch the joke until you. Until you. <laughs> well, David, David, I just, I want you to know that that if you don't feel that you're appreciated enough, that I know that that Rodney's family, um, they have told me that they really appreciate all the hard work that you've done over the years and. Fine. And, 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 and I have no. Yeah, and I know, um, I, mean, I can't imagine how much time you've spent of your personal life on this. And I just really admire that. And I just want to tell you that, because, like, I mean, for nothing in return, you've done all this. And, well, like I said, all mysteries are always, you know, something that ever since I was a little kid, <clears throat> that a mystery has to be resolved. And cannot, cannot. And it may take 30 years, but but eventually I'll get to the truth of it. We'll get it done. And let me tell you, while I've done this, you know, I've done this because I enjoy this. And it's not just this. You know, I've removed 10 chief medical examiners in Texas over the last 20 years. I've shut down two medical examiners' offices, one permanently. I'm involved in multiple other cases. Right now I have a case <clears throat> that 48 Hours highlighted that when I saw the case, couldn't believe what I was seeing. This is just a couple of months ago. Contacted the attorney, provided them documents. They just sent me an email that the trial has been postponed because of COVID. But as soon as they reschedule it, they'll be back in touch for the rest of the records in that case. 
I have multiple cases. I have two cases right now that are being reviewed, a murder case out of Williamson County and one out of Kerr County that are ongoing right now, and I'm getting ready to add three more to the mix in Travis County. And an autopsy and re- review to do. these damn judges. And an autopsy re- review to send to me, autopsy summary. And an autopsy review, well, more than one now. Yeah. And, and on top of that, I still have times to do with everything that I want to do. Right. I don't know how you so, get enough I only time in your day. Four hours tonight, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> David. So my mind's always active. I always got you know the you know it's got to be something new. And so hey, I'm I'm happy with my life. Hell, I'm old. I keep telling people I'm old. You know I'm not. That was 20 years ago. I did that state versus Reed stuff. I was 50 then. Right. So really? so yeah, I'm old. Hey. Yeah, I'm, believe I'm it or not, Colleen. <laughs> They're like, really? <laughs> well, I'm doing. I feel like I'm doing good. Then starting out at my age, I'm all right. Well, how old are you? I am. Um, oh, I didn't mean to ask you that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I don't. I don't mind. I'm 37. I'm one of the younger. Oh, ones. you got lots of times, and you've already got <laughs> common sense. When were you born? <laughs> you a Capricorn? I am a Sagittarius, sir. Sagittarius. Well, that's I December, if I remember correctly. November, December. It is. And and I bet in you're later in December. Early. I am actually in the middle. Okay. Well, I'm in the you're... middle, but it is it is a fire sign for sure. Well, it's it's better <laughs> that you be a you know a Sagittarius and a Capricorn. Oh boy! Because you know <laughs> no what Capricorn the sign of, you know what the house. sign of you know what the sign of a Capricorn is, don't you? I don't. I don't. It's the sign of the butthole. Trust me, I know. I'm a Capricorn. (laughs) Take it from the Botinsky. Capricorn are know-it-all buttholes. Hands (laughs) down. I just tell people straight out. I'm a Capricorn. Deal with it. I'm a true Capricorn. I am a butthole. I'm not a know-it-all, but I like to refer to myself as the question queen because I have questions for days. Well, good. Because the only time that you can find answers is if you question. For right. the Capricorn, you don't ask questions. You find the answer. <laughs> you, you don't. You don't take time to ask the question. You go straight for the answer. I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're you're but you're right you. on the right also, paths, and 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 just follow the paper trail on how to find records and use that. Now, each state is different, but you know, and I'm and there's, I'm, I'm I'm in DFW, so I'm in Texas. So I appreciate okay. all your information very well, much. Well, one of the other cases that comes up here in the next couple of months is Sandra Bland. Yes. Oh. The truth yeah. about her. I did that. I did that investigation, and I'm telling you, she died in a jail in a hospital in I, Houston of an wow. epileptic seizure. Wow. Did you know yeah, that? I would the, love to follow along with that for yeah. sure. Well, you're going to see it. Yeah. Did you know that uh, the director of the DPS started a criminal investigation of the two Rangers? for lying to him and the grand jury in January of 2016 after talking to me? I don't know. I don't know. I have, I have the parameters from the inspector general. Our governor shut it down. But that's coming back here in the next couple of months. That because the legislature is back in session and they want to amend the Sandra Bland Act. Well, they can't amend the Sandra Bland Act until the truth comes out. And I have all the file. All of it. That's a very, it's a very sad case for sure. It is. It is. It, it, it truly is. But the bottom line is she was illegally incarcerated in that jail 
for those three days, and the director agrees. And ultimately, the, the guy's going to come back and be charged. Now, you, you mentioned, Kevin, uh, WGLRO yep. with Donnie, Donnie Walker. Walker. Yep. Donnie Walker mm-hmm. has, has five, I think, five two-hour interviews with me over the Sandra Bland case running from December 2015 to 2017, 18. Okay. Yep. You better stop because I'm going to keep us on here another four hours. No, no. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we do have <laughs> That's to. another show. <laughs> that, that's a whole other broadcast. You got that. That's, that's at least at least two or three, maybe five or six. Right. I, I am here for it when you're ready. Well, Rogan and Kevin, I will provide you the other documents, and then you decide, because this thing with the Reed case is going to move very quickly. Right. Now that there's a time frame, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to continue to turn the screws on Barry Sheck and Bunch. I'm copying all of them, because if they think they're going to pull this BS on Rodney and have a bad hearing and not face state bar, a state bar grievance, oh, ye, they are very much mistaken. Let's get them. If they can't get their stuff together, then the Innocence Project can die on the vine with this case. (laughs) Yep. Well, we can do, you know, the best we can for Rodney by using social media to post the facts that we have because, you know, people are still interested and people are, are viewing it and, you know, all that somehow helps, you know, the butterfly effect. Do you write to Rodney? Um, I send him messages, but not on the phone yeah well you got him a good you got a good bit to to alert him because he doesn't he's not aware of this stuff coming oh he's wow, not a, really he's not aware no he's not nope that's what upset I not, me i have not written him i actually yes i have i well i've sent pictures and stuff but i uh being that makes me sad i I didn't know he was so out of the loop. No, no, he's been, the people who have been his spokespeople have been hiding all of what's going on, have been hiding them from him. So as you see these records and can write intelligently about them, write him. Okay. Because Rodney's a sharp guy. And I'm also dealing with a group of, of body language experts, world experts. They did a they did a, a, a review of Rodney's one of Rodney's interviews. Are you talking I, about the behavioral panel? Are you talking about the behavioral panel? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I actually talked to them as well, and I asked them to please do one on Jimmy Fennell, and they asked me to send them any footage I have of him, but I have not been able to come up with. How long ago footage. was that? This was like two weeks ago. Okay, I've been in touch with them for about three weeks. I sent okay. him. A, a better interview of Rodney explained okay. who I was. So they, when I heard him start talking about maybe they should get involved with the Innocence Project, I almost gagged. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so I, I reached out to him. We've been in communication. I sent him another video, you know, interview, a 2003 interview of Rodney that to compare okay. against the one they did. And, you know, when 2017, 18, 19, whenever that, I don't know when that, that piece was done that they're working off of. But the thing that disturbed me is, is Rodney's memories beginning to fail. That's what disturbed me. He couldn't remember what he was doing the night that Stacy went missing. No, I yeah. have several comments um, on that post because you know, there was a point where they were 
where Rodney kind of seemed confused and he kind of right, right. And so I sent him. But they, mis we, but they misinterpreted it because the. the I understand. Yeah, they did. And then there's a. And I don't believe they know what they're doing. But you see, this gives me an opportunity to. I have the records. They have their opinions based on body language. I sent them a clean video. You're gonna you're gonna get to see what I send them because I'm gonna send the links to Kevin and he's gonna send them to you. To y'all. Do you have any you. Jimmy Fennell footage? Not of any of any you know, Substance. of any significance. There's just mm -hmm. little okay. clippets of here and there. And Jimmy and, and it and it doesn't matter. They're not they're not right about Rodney, so why should I believe they'd be right about Jimmy? <laughs> you know, it, you see, so what I'm doing is I've given them this. Let them break it down. When they when they're comfortable that that their opinions of Rodney is right, then I'll drop the records on them. Mm. And and they're gonna have to reevaluate what they're doing and how they're doing it because they're I think that's like their thing, though, is that they take these people that they don't have any type of bias towards whatsoever. Like they don't know about the case. They don't know about this and that. And then they go purely based on just the Body language. training that they have, because yeah. they've also done it with a few other people. Like one of my cases is the Carol Baskin, John Lewis case. And we're the our team is the family spokespeople for that case uh, for the family. And they did one on Carol Baskin and they were, well, they had watched Tiger King. So I think they might've been a little, a little biased, but they've done several others. So I like that they are. But that's fine. No, I, I like what they're doing, but, I but if did, I can help I them. Did, I do agree with you. And when I watched it, I went back to our chat and I did say, well, they're interpreting it wrong and they don't even they don't right. know the like the circumstances of what he's talking about and so i think that well, what i did is i didn't i don't comment on social media i reached out yeah. and contacted their organization and yeah. sent them an email then they responded then we went back or forth and and they asked me if i would you know be involved in it. and i'm no that's not what i'm after you know i'm i'm reaching out to help you guys i'm going to give you a better cleaner video to look at that was done in 2003. The same questions that their 2019 interview has asked are the same questions in the 2003. And you get to see Rodney. He didn't change. He hadn't learned. You know, he's gotten older and he's begun to forget. But do, and they're going to do a profile on that video. And after it's finished, then I'm going to feed them documents. I'm not telling them anything about the case. Then I'm going to give them records and say, now, here are the facts. Now, gauge what you, what you claimed about Rodney against the facts, and then fine-tune your work if you find out that you were way off in left field. That's the approach I'm going with. Hey, listen. Makes sense. Yep. So? We have been schooled. We went through college today, tonight, <laughs> this morning. Yes. We first started out day. as new babes in the wood, and now we're old people ready to go first to sleep. Day, right. First class, first semester, first year. And um, I, 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 started, I, I told when David, when you got cut off, I was just letting them know, you know, <laughs> information is as you get it, as you present it. It's just those who interpret it as close to accurately as possible and present it effectively that uh, you get the, the correct answers. And 
that's that's pretty much what this is all about getting all the information and and david you've taken 20 years to put bits and pieces together and this is one of the reasons why i have no problems coming to you and saying but why not are you know putting up whatever questions that refute what you what you bring because you have the evidence to to support your argument oh yeah i, I back up with, with what i say with, with documents I, I it, will, it doesn't matter to I'm speculate there that. are people who speculate you know we know you know what that ends up being but uh i live in a world of of facts and science you know and time and research right and and the skills yeah, of knowing people hmm? like you said now is the time oh yeah. it has to be it's it's pretty much now or never right so you ladies you will get the, the the rest of information from me now that i've gotten the okay officially um and we will be passing on more information so the the place to go for those who want to see actual documents the truth it's advocates for rodney reed on facebook and um the twitter handle to communicate with is at free Rodney Reed. Am I right? I think I'm right. That's correct. Yes. So on Twitter, at free Rodney Reed is the handle that you want to follow. Um, on Facebook, it's Advocates for Rodney Reed, that Facebook group. And for the public to know, these are new records. These have never been seen before. Mm-hmm. These will rattle you. You won't. You won't. It'll be hard to believe what you're seeing. And these are the Texas Department of Public Safety Crime Labs records. And these are some of which I, I I showed as we were doing the broadcast tonight. You know, and I have tons. <laughs> and and I it st- gets and it gets from here on out. It gets more and will deeper. Be more, and they'll be everly ever increasingly disturbing by obvious uh, evidence tampering from the moment Stacy was reported missing. Yep. And and even before. And before, but really, but it starts with the evidence collection yeah. and the tampering with that evidence. Ever since she was reported missing and her truck was found in the parking lot, they, I mean, it, it was nothing but, but manipulation, rewriting history, just, you know, hiding evidence, destroying evidence, adding, adding new documents to the evidence that was never found. And it all, all of it to protect Jimmy Fennell. All of it is aimed to protect Jimmy Fennell. And, it, and so if, well, if you're protecting him, then he had to have been the, the true suspect. It, it kind of morphed now into protecting the state of Texas. Oh yeah, well now it's it's everybody covering their own hiney. Right. That's why Ranger Wardlow would not come on camera. Mm. You know, with twenty twenty. Oh, and let me let me explain something to people. Uh, twenty that was not the twenty twenty special that they intended on December eleventh. Yeah. That was a real quick piece put together uh, to fill in that two hour time block. They have moved the real special to late April, early May. And that one deals with the facts. And now that I'm not talking, you know, I'm not talking to him anymore. I've had enough of 2020.
2020. I agree with Lisa O'Brien. 2020 is a is a worthless, lying organization as much so as I have ever run across in my life. So, see, But you do I agree spend, on something. Yes, we do. <laughs> that we agree. I spent a year consulting in that firm. I mean, you should see the emails daily, five, ten times a day, seven days a week, you know, that went on for a year. And what, four or five full days, ten, twelve-hour days and, and on camera. Mm. Brought in a new, there's a new medical examiner that expands after time of death, that, that confirms everything I just told you about her body positioning and how they manipulated what the burns are, that covers all of those aspects. And all of that... Hmm? What you, found, you also found that in David Lahan's file, correct? Uh, no, on the burns and stuff? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I knew that within the first six months. That's why I put in the letter to the editor, you'll get a copy of the letter mm -hmm. to the editor I wrote to the Smithville Times on August 23, 2001, where I point out that Stacy's been dead and the tampering, you know, the, the tampering with the crime scene video, digitally altering the colors of Stacy. you know, my conversation with right. Bayardo and my time right. of death. And you know what happened to the Smithville Times when they published that letter? What was that? The district attorney sued the Smithville Times, claiming they conspired with me to defame him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, that's right. He went all the wow. way to the Texas Supreme Court. He lost every battle. Because I knew he was going to do it. I warned them. Put all the, do all the stuff in the opinion page. Yeah. Because yeah. it's hard to sue on opinions. And then anything that they wrote that was contrary to what I told them, I wrote a letter to the editor and said it was my fault and corrected the issue. I've done this for a long time. I know the pitfalls. When I started posting, I started thinking about, like, wow, am I going to get in trouble here? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not really sure, like, legally what I can even be posting. But, you know, well, the easiest way is to put, in my opinion, that covers you. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, what I posted, I didn't, I didn't make anything up. Now, if you if you post facts and documents, and you know that the that the documents are from a factual source, <laughs> then you're protected. But if you see bizarre stuff and you post it, not that anybody would ever sue you for it, but but well, if you ever got, huh? And well, it, well, it depends. It depends on your. It depends on your background. It depends on what case. You know, there are a lot of of, of other things that come into play. But generally, you expose yourself if you if you pass along stuff that that any common sense person would know would not be true. You mean like and it slanders somebody, then you then you open yourself up. You mean posting something that is not true, like well, a, a knife being labeled as a belt? Yeah, yeah. No, that that can be that, that, that's that's dumb media. That's just dumb media. <laughs> on that note, on that note, let me wrap this all up. David, thank you. Uh, ladies, Nosy, uh, Colleen, thank you very much. Uh, yes, and Nosy and Colleen, I enjoyed this more than you'll ever know. Oh, good. Oh, so did I. It I makes up for my goodness. for my being bashed on that by that other. <laughs> Don't even hey just, we took care of that. Trust me. 
Don't even worry about that, you know. Rogan's Are you cool. kidding? It was probably the most en- enjoyable, you know, almost two hours replaying that. <laughs> I, I told you that I was cracking up. So Yeah, you're right. It, it was. It was humorous. I mean, she I she went out of her way to every knows. chance she could to, to throw a slings and arrows and rocks. and. <laughs> David, that's because you're a I legend in your own mind. to listen. <laughs> that's right. I'm no, special. Nosy, you need to. <laughs> yes. Sharp was special. David, I found, it kind of, I found it kind of amusing like to hear you being insulted by a guy who seems to be like, I don't know if he was smoking weed or what he was smoking. Wow. But he was smoking. Oh. <laughs> he was wow. Well, I, I will say this. It. I will say this. At least he expressed some doubts in the evidence. And of course, that didn't make Lisa happy. Yes. yes he did. Are we? Ta- are we? Ta- who are we? Who are we talking about here? Nosy, you need to watch. You need to listen to the podcast. I, look, she's got me blocked on every platform for the last two years. I'll try to figure <laughs> it out, though. I sent you the link. You can listen on on their podcast. Yeah, but I'm. I mean, I got blocked by Nancy Grace. Like, I'm kind of like famous (laughs) for getting blocked now. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I got blocked by PETA. Been blocked by Supreme Court justices. I've been blocked by the oh so awesome Carl Marino from whatever his stupid show is, ID Hunters or some something like that. So yeah. Uh, Lisa's had me blocked for quite some time. Yeah, the, the 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 podcast. There's no way to stop you from going to the public podcast. I'll send you the okay, link. Okay, well, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to find two hours of my life. I'm willing to give up, and I'll go check it out. <laughs> oh, to listen? No, it's. I don't think it's even worth listening to. Yeah, I was told. I was oh, told never ever time. again to send anything from that woman. To, to a <laughs> colleague of mine. And yeah, I, I, felt, I mean, it's really, I mean, it was just, it really didn't make any sense at all. You know, it was just kind of, she was trying to just tear down all ideas. Like she said that there's no way that's unfeasible that Stacy could have been dating Rodney because neither of them owned cars. <laughs> what she wants to say, but she can't say is there's no way it's feasible because he was black. And the and that that's my, Rocky, that's like that's my that's my opinion. I'm just saying. And that, that's my opinion. And that the four didn't know right. each other. Salmela, um, Wardlow, um, Fennell, and and um, who am I leaving out? I think Board got kicked off. Board. Again. <laughs> Probably. Oh, right. That's it. Like that it's, that it's ludicrous for us to even think that they would be involved in anything together. But we have, you know, we could show documents over a decade of them being in cases together. Like all of them already know Rodney from different things. Like they all know each other and they've done things right. together. Like it's, but right. they, so they now that we raise, know, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say is that they, they kind of um, twist it to saying like, these are cops from three different uh, entities agencies yes. like how silly to think they would i literally whenever they bring that stuff up and you know why you know why lisa i can tell you lisa brings this up because she wasn't involved lisa had nothing to do with the rodney reed case at all whenever i joined the making a murder community and that right there that is a classic line that um 
the guilters in Stephen Avery's case use is that you're talking about, you know, this police department had to collide with this police department to frame this person. And I'm like, all it takes is one or two people who are in charge. They tell you what to do and you do it. And that's that. You right. know what I mean? And so it's so much easier than people think. And think of, and what I don't understand is how these people don't look at all the cases of corruption. I mean, Lisa Tanner, she, I believe, I could be mistaken, so I could be wrong on this, but I believe she is friends with Kelly Siegler, who in 2009, or is that her name? Yeah, Kelly Siegler. She was in 2019. She was on the stand because she had also violated all kinds of, you know, prosecutorial misconduct and stuff like that that caused someone to go to prison and she ended up with her own show nancy grace is another one too and lisa tanner is another one they are out there and they are doing it yep that they are and uh the ones that we can address we address you know once we get the facts we put them out there it's it's for them to prove us wrong so for anybody calling us um or me or anybody I'm associated with, conspiracy theorists, hey, <laughs> prove us wrong. <laughs> Ladies, thank you very much. Thank you, Kevin. Um, thank you yes, for thank you this. so much. This was fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it initially was supposed to be a whole lot shorter, but things work out the way they work out. <laughs> they do but it's so much information that's what i mean by fun like yeah. oh my god i can't believe i just have all this information so like now right i just want to go rip the transcripts apart and all the evidence and everything and yep so you know, you know. when 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 you when you go to the transcripts again take some evidence with you Take some truth with you as you go through the court transcripts because you, we're looking at, on the transcripts, we're looking at what was presented, not necessarily all that was there. So keep that in mind. Keep an open mind. And uh, we'll do this again real soon. You ladies have a great morning. We'll talk later. Thank you. Good night, y'all. All right, good night. Bye, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. A marathon, a real true-to-life marathon of a broadcast. And um, I, I do want to thank you all that hung around. It, it wasn't easy, but we made it. And this is where we call it a night. Y'all take care until we do it all again tomorrow with Healthy Love right here on the Night Shift with DJ Kevin Stew, 10 p.m. Eastern.
Greetings and salutations one and all. You're invited to tune in to the night shift with DJ Kevin Stew. It airs on Mondays with Community and Finance, Tuesdays with Healthy Love, and Wednesdays with Real Talk from 10 p.m. to midnight Eastern Time. Come spend some time interacting in the stew pot where we keep things bubbling and wind down in musical therapy. The Night Shift with DJ Kevin Stew is on kevinstew.com where you're encouraged to have acceptance through enlightenment. <laughs>